Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we have a transfer news packed episode, uh, but we have a few games and a little bit of MLS talk as well. But we will start with our game of the week. It was the World Cup qualifier, the very last World Cup spot available between Costa Rica and New Zealand. Costa Rica came out on top through a Joel Campbell third-minute goal, and they were able to hang on and basically shithouse this one uh, against New Zealand. New Zealand had 67% possession, but Costa Rica came out with a W. Tell us about it, Garrett. Yeah, I mean, it was just an early goal from Costa Rica, and they just defended their lead from there, sat really deep, even after going up a man, thanks to a stupid red card from Costa Barbarusis. Um, and Justin, we found this quite hilarious after his time at Sydney FC. And you know, <laughs> he was both he was both on our on our naughty list, if, if you will, right? Not a this player guy. we like to see on the pitch. This guy, man, if you have ever watched Costa Barbarusis, look, he was great for Melbourne victory before he went to uh, Sydney FC. But once he went to Sydney FC, he was just fell off a cliff. The guy couldn't finish. The guy couldn't assist the guy. He, he shouldn't be on the pitch at all. And he kept continuing to start games. If you have watched him at Sydney FC, him coming on in the 60th minute and getting sent off in the 67th for the dumbest red card you've ever seen is peak Costa Barbarusis. Yeah, I'm, I mean, he still scored a vast majority of Sydney's goals in that season, and that's how you knew that Sydney was about to go way downhill, and that they did, finishing uh-huh. like eighth in the A-League this year. What a disgrace. Anyway, um, you know, this was harsh on New Zealand, to be honest. I thought they were the better team, you know, pretty much the last 87 minutes of the game, if you will. You know, they conceded that early goal. It was a cutback. Joel Campbell gets his left foot on it, takes a little deflection, trickles into the bottom corner, But New Zealand really pushed from there and they had chances and they just couldn't take any. And so it is Costa Rica, another CONCACAF side, which makes it into the World Cup. Um, And so that is something that is exciting to see. And, you know, it was a great performance from Kaylor Navas yet again, which I called last week on the podcast. So, you know, it it was you could kind of see it going this way. As soon as Costa Rica scored, you were like, okay, New Zealand are in some, some serious trouble here. And uh, even more so when you saw Costa Barbarusis warming up to go, go on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Chris Wood created a couple chances, but nothing good enough for New Zealand. Uh, th- so that puts them into group E in that last spot in the world cup. As we were saying, they have a, a tough group, Germany, Spain, and Japan. Do you think they're going to make it out of that group? I, I think that's going to be a tough one for them. No, they're not. I, I really don't think they will. But it, it's good. At least another CONCACAF team in the World Cup. We like to see that. I think that uh, most CONCACAF fans were rooting for Costa Rica in this one. So as U.S. fans, we were uh, happy to see them go through. Yeah, also because they had a former Everton left back, Brian Oviedo, on the pitch. So love it, love it for him as well. And speaking of the U.S., We did have a game. It was a friendly, uh, again, uh, basically almost a week ago now, uh, similar to the Costa Rica-New Zealand game, but it was against El Salvador, and it was, I mean, that pitch was just ridiculous at the Cuscalan and uh, just very difficult to play on. USA found a way to get the 1-1 draw through a Jordan Morris header in the 90th minute. Uh, 
but I mean, was this a good performance from the U.S.? It's hard to tell, isn't it? I mean, this was just kind of peak CONCACAF, right? Um, horrible pitch. For some reason, the, there were not many fans at the game. Like, they just didn't sell that many tickets, and it was pouring down rain. I mean, Eunice Musa's jersey, like, he was wearing a different kit than the rest of the U.S. team by the end of the game because it was just covered <laughs> in mud. Um, and, Justin, I don't know if you remember, but when we were texting during this game, Jordan Morris came on the pitch and I said, Jordan Morris redemption arc. I'm manifesting an equalizer from him. And that's exactly what happened. Reading the future prediction. God over here. Um, But no, I mean, it wasn't a a great performance. It wasn't particularly an awful performance. I mean, if we had lost, I would have been pretty upset, but the U S definitely deserved the equalizer. They got in my opinion. I, I really think overall they were the better team. I thought, you know, Eunice Moose, as I mentioned earlier, was the best player on the pitch. I thought he was fantastic despite the awful pitch, awful conditions. He still absolutely ran that midfield. Um, and, and, you know, he had a link up with McKinney, which would have been one of the best goals I've seen from the USMNT in a long time. But unfortunately, Musa just couldn't quite apply the finish. But, you know, overall, continued impressive they... performances from Musa. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he's really, really shining. Uh, and, you know, drew the red card as well from El Salvador. Right. So a, a really impressive game. And, you know, he's debating when Gio comes back into the squad. There's been a lot of debate. He's really staking his claim for that. Yeah, and of course it was Ariola who came off the bench and then got sent off for the U.S. doing his Costa best Barbarusas esque. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> doing his best Barbarusas impersonation, right? Yep. Eight minutes but, after he got subbed on, he gets sent off yeah. for a stupid, stupid challenge. It might have been a soft red, but it, it was, was a, it was a very soft red in my but, opinion. But it it's very soft. But red. it's it's a studs up challenge. What are you doing right off the bench? Doesn't make sense. Meanwhile, Jordan he barely, Morris, he barely the, the guy he him. gets compared to the, the other winger in MLS that gets called up to the USMNT maybe a little bit too often. Jordan Morris comes off the bench ten minutes later instead of getting sent off, he scores the equalizing goal. Right, so. Yeah, I, I mean, what I was going to say is, unlike Barbarusis, his team managed to find a way back into the game despite the red card. Obviously, um, Eunice Musa getting dragged down by or getting hacked down more accurately by Ronald Gomez while through on goal, yep. you know, helped that a bit. But um, yeah, I mean, this was a, a horrible game to watch, but it was also amazing. And it, I mean, it was just it was peak CONCACAF. That's all I can say. The most dreadfully fantastic game I've ever watched dreadfully fantastic and with that we can move on to the world cup venues that were announced uh obviously for 2026 of course not the upcoming 2022 qatar world cup but for when it will be in the united states mexico and canada the um the venues have been announced they were they're all in the united states at least you know nfl stadiums and then uh in in canada we get some mls stadiums but of course uh, Liga America stadiums in Mexico. So I will just run through them quickly for anybody who hasn't seen MetLife Stadium, New York, SoFi LA, AT&T Stadium in Dallas, uh, Levi Stadium in San Francisco, Hard Rock in Miami, Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta, Lumen Field in Seattle, NRG in Houston, Gillette Stadium in Boston, Lincoln Financial in Philadelphia, and then we have the Estadio Akron in Guadalajara, Monterey with the BBVA Stadium, Mexico City, we've got the Azteca hosting of the World Cup. And then, uh, oh, one more U.S. was Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium, and then a couple can- Canadian ones at BMO Field in Toronto and BC Place in Vancouver. Uh, any big ones that missed out on getting a spot that you were hoping would, Garrett? 
Honestly, no. I, I think this is a pretty good spread. I'm really interested to see how they do this in BC place. It's just not particularly large and it's almost always turf in there. So they're going to have to like bring down grass and lay it down. I don't know. That one's a little bit questionable to me. Uh, there are about eight, eight stadiums, I believe with turf and that they will all need to be converted. Uh, oh, SoFi man. stadium SoFi stadium itself needs to be not only converted to grass, but need to be widened because it's too narrow as a, yeah. as a foot. There, there's a lot of changes that need to be made. A lot of grass that needs to be brought in Uh lumen field. We know is bringing in grass and then removing it after the, the, uh, why? cup just keep it the nfl i guess i don't doesn't make sense to me the grass is obviously a necessity which is why it will be put in for the world cup uh but for me chicago i wanted chicago to get a a spot and they didn't get one so i don't know obviously they pulled out uh before this was announced but chicago i i still wanted them to get one yeah just quickly on seattle like i get it rains a lot there but if you have proper drainage like i mean england look at stoke for example it, it's just pouring there all the time, but they still manage to keep the field relatively dry and playable. So I don't see why Seattle couldn't do that with, you know, the multiple franchises that play at Lumen Field, whatever. Uh, I don't think it's that they couldn't. I just think it's that the NFL favors uh, turf over grass uh, as opposed to, you know, real football that we prefer I mean, grass. I mean, I mean, my team, the 49ers, Levi Stadium, which is hosting, that's grass. So, Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. I, I, I'm in favor. I agree with you, but you know, trying to, trying to provide them an excuse, I guess. I don't know. Um, but after the venues were released for the world cup, we got the upcoming premier league fixtures for this coming season. They were released. Um, you know, we see, we see a couple of good games that we want early on or late on. But to me, the thing that stuck out as a Manchester city fan was this is the sixth consecutive season that city are now playing away from home in their first game. Uh, that's the longest run ever in the premier league. So it's just ridiculous to me that we don't get a home game. And especially as a reigning champion, because this is only the fourth time since 2006 that a reigning champion has not has started and ended their premier league campaign at, uh, at an away game. So if city were to, you know, lift the trophy or whatever on the last day of the season, that's a way um, because the, the twice man United had it in 11, 12 and 13, 14, and then city this season and also in 18, 19. So I just don't like it. I feel like if you're, if you're the reigning champion, you should not only start your campaign at home, but more importantly, you should end it at home. Um, and, and more importantly, there should just be rotation. So six seasons in a row where you're starting away is just not really fair. Yeah, and I feel like Everton have had a lot of home fixtures in a row now. We have Chelsea on the first day of the season this year. Last year, we had Southampton. We had Watford before that. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it does not seem to be even for sure. And, you, and you'd think with the reigning champions that they would let them be at home for the first game of the year. But I guess it's random draw and uh, the luck has not been favoring you guys. Yep, absolutely. And then we can move from major news in the Premier League to major news in MLS when we got a huge TV deal uh, with Apple TV has now bought the MLS rights. It's a non-exclusive deal, but they have the rights now for the uh the next 10 years from 2023 all the way to 2032 it's a two and a half billion dollar deal so 250 million dollars per year 
Uh, they will broadcast every single MLS game uh, in, and every league's cup match. They will have select MLS Next Pro and MLS Next matches, those development leagues. Uh, it will be a subscription service on Apple TV, but you will not need to buy Apple TV uh, as well. You could just buy MLS alone if you want it, but it will be through Apple TV on their platform. Um, just a lot, a lot to talk about with this one, Garrett, because they, we, we know that currently they get paid about 60 to 65 million a year in TV rights, the MLS makes. And so this is a huge bump on that. Right. But also this won't be MLS produced. I mean, this will be MLS produced, so it won't be produced by Apple TV. And so that will cut into a lot of the profit that the MLS makes, right. They're going to hire 10 to four broadcasting teams to, uh, you know, broadcast these games. And that's the other big part because they're switching the scheduling of the MLS to a, what I would call like an NFL type schedule, right? Where they have, they're only going to play on Wednesdays and Saturdays and they're going to bunch the games up so that on Saturdays, every game will be happening within about a six hour period. They're only going to have two kickoff times as the NFL does, right? The NFL has that 10 AM or one and 1 PM or whatever it is on, on the West coast, at least. Um, and the MLS will have something very similar. They'll have two kickoff times, and they will also have a very similar show to what you see in NFL Red Zone or a CBS Golasso show. They're going to have a whip around show trying to cover every single game going on. So it'll be easier for uh, not only fans to keep up, but to keep up with every team. Uh, and it won't be hard to find games. It'll No blackouts like ESPN Plus gives. Uh, and season ticket holders as well get it for free. So a lot of positives there as far as accessibility for the MLS. But before we get into more of this, because it's just such a big deal, Garrett, what are your thoughts on this one? You, you like it or? Yeah, personally, I do. And, you know, there's obviously a couple downsides. There's no way with any of these deals that there isn't going to be. I think, you know, as things change hands, there's always going to be pros and cons for certain people. But overall, I think that this is a productive deal for MLS. I think this will progress the league. Um, I'm excited for that whip around show personally. I think it'll be cool. Although, you know, obviously if you're at a match and you can't see everything else going on and there's no games the next day for you to watch. So I don't know. There's obviously pros and cons there, but personally, as a consumer, I do really enjoy watching like NFL red zone and CBS Colosso show, especially when there's like 10 games going on. It just feels like you get to watch all of them. So I like that also, you know, the valuation of the deal, I think is fantastic from an MLS standpoint, the fact that a non-exclusive deal is worth this much, like that's fantastic. Um, and it shows that Apple TV do really, you know, believe in the growth of MLS and, you know, the league is growing every single year. Uh, and, and hopefully also that money can contribute towards getting more and more quality players um, into the league. And we're having a, a very quality player coming into the league soon, but we'll talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, overall, I like this deal for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh, as you say, a big increase in money. And the big thing is as you bring up the worldwide attention, because this is available all over the world through Apple TV, right? It's not just available in this country. So if you're in Europe and you're interested, if you're in South America and you're interested, you now have an ability to watch every single MLS game and be sure that you are going to have access to all of those games. You don't have to search on Twitter. Where are they broadcasting it? Also, they're all in 1080p now. They're, every single game is going to be broadcast in 1080p, uh, which just means good quality uh, you know, we're not going to have these bad Twitter streams or whatever. You're going to be able to see everything very clearly, which is which is fantastic. So I think it is important 
uh, just how much this promotes MLS, not only in this country, but worldwide. And that's, that's going to be a lot on Apple TV because to me, when they're not producing it, it makes it so that you don't know how much they're going to invest in. And I think obviously two and a half billion shows that they're uh, they, they care a lot and that they're going to promote it. And I think the more, you know, commercials we see and things like that, the, the better it will be for MLS's future. Yeah. And just hopefully MLS's production teams that they hire do a really good job, but you know, I feel like Apple TV wouldn't secure this deal and, you know, agreed to pay that much to have it on their platform if they weren't given assurances about the quality of the production. So. Absolutely. Like for example, we had this week, the Juneteenth jerseys, right. Which is a great cause. And MLS loves to do these uh, different jerseys each week, but sometimes it makes the numbers hard to read and things like that, especially when the broadcast isn't fantastic. Uh, But that should not be a problem anymore. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think these were, hard to read at all. I think this is way better than the awful prime blue white on pink. Like that was horrible, but uh, I liked the Juneteenth numbers. I thought they were really cool. And I also liked that, you know, they didn't change the entire kit, just the numbers, um, which almost made it stand out a bit more in my opinion. And the other thing about them, they will all be auctioned off um, this coming couple of weeks. I think they're going on sale. I believe the day this podcast uh, is released so you can go and look on MLSauctions.com. I believe you can go buy those game-worn uh, Juneteenth jerseys, which is really, really cool. Um, and then, Garrett, there were a few games of note in MLS this week. Uh, a lot of results we you know, kind of expected. That big one between uh, the LA teams and the, the Pacific Northwest, there were a couple of them, LA Galaxy hosting uh, Portland Timbers and Seattle hosting LAFC, both of those coming out to one-one draws. Uh, not necessarily surprising between a couple heavyweights. The only thing I really have to say from that is that Dejan Jovalic has to start for LA Galaxy. The fact that he's not is the most ridiculous decision I've probably ever seen from Greg Vanny. It needs to be uh, he needs to be implemented. Justin, was I not beating that drum just a couple of weeks ago, saying you got to figure out how to get him into the team, whether it's at winger instead of Cabral or Grancier or playing two up top? I know. I mean. I totally agree. After he had that hat trick off the bench or whatever it was, like he has to be starting for this team and he's done it again. And so if Greg Vanny, you know, continues to leave him out, that's just a mind boggling decision. Yeah. You have to find a way to fit Douglas Costa, Chicharito and Jovalich in, uh, which, you know, as you say, leaves Gran Sierra Cabral uh, on the bench. Um, but the, the game that was really interesting to me to, to start off the week was Austin FC visiting Montreal. Uh, they were able to get the 1-0 win in Montreal after Daniel Pereira gets sent off in the 44th minute for a, a second yellow. Just silly stuff. I mean, you're on a yellow already. I don't know why you're uh, making these uh, unnecessary challenges. But he gets sent off, and Austin FC... Uh, then find a way to score on the counterattack through Maxi Ruti, who has been in, in a drought, right, recently, and got his goal that he much needed. Against his former team, right? Absolutely. but Which is probably half the league at this point, to be honest. <laughs> There's a lot of guys who, who hop around, right? But, I mean, 62% possession. Anytime you see over 60%, that's, that's domination, right? Uh, for Montreal, as you would expect with a man up, they had double the amount of shots, but they weren't able to convert them or put them on target. 
And Austin FC were able to, you know, find a way to win this game, which to me was just a, a big, big statement for the Western Conference because Austin FC, you know, sitting in third place and uh, well, going into this game, they were they were both in fourth, I believe. Austin FC now hopping up into third, but it was four against four, and Austin FC away from home, down a man, still found a way to win. I think it's just saying that the West is much superior once again. I mean, obviously the absence of Mihailovic is something to note on the Montreal side, but you know, that's not really yeah. an excuse, but the fact, and the fact of the matter is that Justin Austin should have won this game too. No, because Driussi, right. One of the leading MVP uh, players, like in the, in the MVP campaign, he missed an absolute sitter towards the end of the game. He had a wide open header at the back post and a uh, keeper slid across and he put it right at him. Uh, and so the fact that, you know, they should have won this two nil and Montreal were so Poor in the final third, um, Kai Kamara missing two sitters pretty much. Um, yeah, it, this was really poor for Montreal. There's no way you should be at home up a man for half of the game and losing. So, you know, I, I do agree. I, I don't know if this is the greatest evidence to show that the West is better. It, it does seem a little bit fluky to me, just the way that it went down. But I mean, I, I still agree with the overall statement. Um, and I think the you know, what Austin have done this year has been really remarkable. Um, and, and it's fascinating to see them pulling off ridiculous results like this on, on a relatively frequent basis. Yep. You're absolutely right. Um, the other upset in, there were a couple upsets. We can start though with Vancouver who, you know, were right around the bottom of the table in the West going and playing FC Dallas in Dallas and FC Dallas, you know, sitting in third place, a very uh, good season so far. Areola and Ferreira playing their hearts out for them. But they lost 2-0 to Vancouver. And not only that, but that means Vancouver have now done the double over Dallas. They've won a home and away. I mean, just explain this to me because they shouldn't be winning either of these games. They only had 33% possession. How are they getting this done? I'm not really sure. I mean, Dallas just weren't that great going forward. I think Ferreira had like one half chance, but it was from a poor angle. It was never really going to go in, but, but Dallas just didn't really show up in either of these games against Vancouver. And I think Vancouver are a better team than, than people have been giving them credit for now that they've kind of caught up with the rest of the league or the rest of the conference and league in terms of games played. I mean, they're an eighth right now. That's not bad. Um, they're only three points behind Nashville with the same amount of games played. They're level with Seattle, although Seattle do have two games in hand. So, you know, I think Vancouver are a better team than they were looking to be at the beginning of the year. They looked pretty dreadful. Um, and, and honestly, it's interesting that they have a negative 10 goal difference, yet they're, you know, right on the cusp of being in a playoff spot. But yeah, I, I mean, Dallas, I've always kind of had my doubts about them. I, I don't think, I honestly don't think they'll finish in the top four in the West. I think their slide will probably continue a bit. They'll probably end up in a playoff spot, but you know, I think their, their kind of true weaknesses have been getting exposed recently. And I think the teams ahead of them are, are all superior in my opinion, even though I know that you think RSL are, are flukes to be in second, but I think they're better than Dallas. So yeah, well, I think I, I don't disagree with what you're saying about Dallas too. I think they're overperforming as well, but it's not that Vancouver are any good to me. I mean, they had half an expected goal. Uh, they had f- four shots total. I mean, it's, it's you know, that first goal in the second minute, and then they try and hold on. And then Caicedo, obviously, with a, a very nice free kick goal. But I just, it's, it's a side house again, just like we were talking about with New Zealand. But 
I don't know, man. I just to if Dallas are going to be a good team this year, actually competing, they can't allow this type of thing to happen. And so that's the worry for me. To and they definitely. I, yeah, I was going to say they and they definitely can't afford to have 16 shots at home and only put one of them on target. And none of them in the back of the net. Absolutely. Uh, the other upset this week was sporting Kansas City going to Geodis Park and handing Nashville a 2-1 loss. This was very, very surprising. Obviously, sporting Kansas City were sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference prior to this game uh, with Nashville, you know, up near the top in the, in the playoff spots, having a good season and Nashville obviously hadn't lost at their new park, Jodas park. The most incredible thing to me is I really didn't believe this when I heard it, but under Peter Vermees sporting Kansas city have now gone into seven brand new MLS stadiums and handed that team their first MLS loss, seven new stadiums. Is that not insane? I mean, it's nuts, and it's also nuts when you think about the game or when you think about the fact that Nashville literally haven't lost a game at home in what seems like 18 years or like since their existence started pretty much. I mean, Nashville last year went the entire season unbeaten at home, um, and that was in an NFL stadium, which is you know not suited for MLS, and now they're in a better stadium, and they've finally lost one to a team bottom of the West just in uh, insane fashion, to be honest. You know, Hernandez's opener was just a free kick that went all the way through, untouched into the back of the net, and then Graham oh, Zussi. Joe Willis, what are you oh, doing, man? Yeah, but that Graham Zussi strike, I mean, that's just a cultured left foot right there. One of the most experienced players in the league, and you kind of know he has that in his locker. Definitely not the first time we've seen that out of Graham Zussi, but they're giving him so much space. I mean, he had an acre to play with 20 yards from goal. What do you think is going to happen, Nashville? Exactly. And that's why we can get into our goal of the week debate now because that's why it wasn't the goal of the week to me because it was a, a stunner, absolutely, but there's no defending at all by Nashville. I, I, look, uh, it's, a, it's a banger, and it's a great goal, and we have to recognize it, and that's why it's in the goal of the week debate. Um, but for me, that's not why. And my goal of the week, I'll just say, is, is Carlos Heel uh, with his left-footed curler uh, – but it's because, first of all, the, the buildup, I mean, the assist, he beat two guys for the assist and then uh, just laid it on a, a plate for Carlos Heel to, uh, to, to bury it. And I think that there's just no flaw in that goal, whereas a lot of other uh, of the, the uh, candidates for goal of the week this week had some flaws. The Gustavo Bo in the same game, obviously. Uh, St. Clair got a hand to that free kick and wasn't able to keep it out. Uh, Caicedo. I don't know if it was necessarily great keeping either uh, Rui Diaz, who was a wild finish and a really incredible Tiki Taka team goal. Uh, the assist there was a little bit lucky uh, from Madronda. So I don't know, but Garrett, for me, Carlos heel has to be goal of the week. What was yours? Justin, I have a rogue shout for this one. Uh, it's a goal that did not end up mattering in the game in which it was scored. I mean, it was pretty much just a consolation goal. Um, and it was the goal from Sebastian Ferreira of Houston because it's a header from like 16, 17 yards out, falling backwards, hit perfectly into the bottom corner. I just think the degree of difficulty of that is by far 
above anything else that I saw this week. I mean, it literally falling backwards the wrong direction, 16 yards out and manages to get power and the perfect accuracy right in the bottom corner. I was just so impressed when I saw that goal. I was like, wow, that is almost impossible to pull off yet. He did it. So although it didn't end up mattering um, and it's a goal that, you know, is definitely getting overlooked. I saw that. And just the degree of difficulty of getting the perfect contact on your head with it like that. I was just blown away by that goal. You're right, Gary. That is a rogue shout because to me, it wasn't even the best header goal of the week. Uh, Chicho Arango also scored from basically the same distance out, except he disagreed. He generated the power himself, whereas uh, for me, uh, the the Houston goal, it was the power was generated from the assist, uh, in my opinion. So to me, Chicho was, was running, better. He was but... running on. He was running onto the ball though. And, and he was closer and he looped it a bit more, but I think the falling yeah. backwards and directing it just makes it that much more impressive for me. Both absolutely incredible headers. Absolutely. But with that, Garrett, I think we can move to the transfer talk. We will stay in the league though, of course, because as you alluded to earlier, Garrett, major, major news coming out of Columbus. Um, Tom Bogart announced earlier today that it is the deal is officially done. Crew have yet to announce, but it will be announced very, very soon, likely tomorrow uh, or today as this is released. But Columbus Crew have signed Cucho Hernandez for just over $10 million from newly relegated Watford contract through 2025 medicals all done. Uh, this is just an incredible signing for Columbus Crew, isn't it? At 23 years old, uh, a prime player who, to me, is underrated in England. I mean, he was really, really good. Only five goals and two assists, I believe, over the season in the Premier League last season. But I think that you know the spark that he provides when he's on the ball, he is always magical. And I think you put him next to Zella Rayan and in that already stacked Columbus uh, attack who are underperforming this season. I think he could be the one to turn that around and turn Columbus season around. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is an, a fantastic signing. And I was honestly shocked when I saw the news because I, I didn't think they'd be able to attract a 23 year old with so much potential to the league and, and, you know, get him for three years, obviously not the longest term contract, but, you know, going to be an instant impact for sure. And, you know, his numbers weren't incredibly impressive. You know, five goals, two assists isn't lighting the world on fire, but that Watford team was dreadful, but he was the only player really in there that showed like he had the quality to make something happen out of nothing. I mean, he scored two incredible goals uh, throughout the season, you know, the first week scoring a, a fantastic curler against Villa. And then, I mean, what can you say about that bicycle against Arsenal? An unbelievable finish. So, yeah, I, I think this is fantastic for Columbus. It's the seventh most expensive signing in the history of the league, but I think that will end up being good value, and, and I'd be surprised if they didn't get you know, quite a hefty profit if they do end up selling him before that three-year contract expires. Yeah, absolutely. Columbus crew sitting at 11th right now uh, needs somebody to spark them. As you say, I mean, it's just a really good signing. I think there's been a lot of them recently in MLS. I think it's going to continue this trend. I don't think the summer is even over. We're going to get some more big signings, in my opinion, but it's just showing the, the increased level uh, for for the MLS because, you know, the other two guys that they were going after were number one was Houston Dynamo uh 
star is Mara Manotas, right? And so within MLS, it's a good signing. He's a good player, but it's within MLS. It's MLS level. The other one, uh, Kyle Lorin from the Canadian International. I mean, he's a very good player as well. That's that's a step up. Would have been an impressive signing in himself. But Cucho Hernandez is a is a high step up from both of those. And then Justin, we can talk about a young talent moving out of the U.S. It is. OCSE's young prodigy from the USL, Kobe Henry, going to France to, to Stade de Rems for about $700,000. Um, I just think it's exciting to see a young talent out of, you know, even the lower divisions of the U.S. getting a big move abroad. Yeah, absolutely, Garrett. I think you hit the nail on the head because I believe it's the fifth uh, USL player to go to Europe in the past year and a half or something like that. Uh, we're exporting players, not just from our top league, which is, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, as you say, Kobe Henry for, for about 700,000, uh, the center back goes to Stade de Rams. Uh, I think it's a good move for him. And it, you know, he's, he's obviously very excited. His family are very excited. Um, but OCSC as well are creating a little bit of a, uh, production down there that's uh, their second or third player that they've been selling for good money so uh impressive there for sure and a big moment uh for u.s soccer in general yeah i was just gonna mention you know they won the usl last league so or last year surprisingly um and their best player arguably was ronaldo damas uh who was 21 at the time a, a haitian international and they sold him to sweden so yeah it is the second year in a row that they've sold a big player um hopefully for the oakland roots sake that means that they're they're going to start <laughs> falling off quite soon yeah yeah hopefully uh and then we can move to the premier league there's a ton to talk about with the premier league uh this week but you know, we're mostly just going to talk about things over, you know, 10 million euros or things like that. But a couple other ones will add freeze or, or loans. But this one we can start off with is Dean Henderson being loaned to Forrest. And the big news, at least for U.S. fans, uh, is, you know, Bree Sumble was leaving. And so you thought Ethan Horvath might get a chance and you wanted to see if Forrest would trust him or if they would bring in somebody. Well, bringing in Dean Henderson is a top, top keeper. He was obviously on loan at Sheffield and then came back to Manchester United, not getting the minutes he wants uh, behind De Gea. So he's going back on loan to another newly promoted uh, Premier League team. Unfortunate for Horvath, not going to get minutes. Now we have three uh, backup keepers in the Premier League going into the World Cup. It becomes a problem for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, I agree, but this is not surprising to me at all. I really thought that after losing Samba, Forrest would be in for someone like a Nick Pope or I guess now a Dean Henderson. It does make sense on loan. Um, you know, he, he went back to United hoping to win that number one shirt, but, you know, has not been able to displace David De Gea, who did have a very good season, to be honest, one of United's better players. Not that that means that much, but um, Dean Henderson, you know, he, he's better than Ethan Horvath. It's pretty simple. So I understand why Forrest are doing it, but obviously from a USMNT perspective, it is a bit disappointing. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and it does because it does become a problem, especially when, you know, the two best keepers that we have um, in obviously Zach Steffen, who has been riding the bench for a while, but now Matt Turner, who was playing every week, will definitely not be playing every week at Arsenal. So yeah, it, it is a problem. You're right. Yeah. It makes me believe that uh, at the very least, only two of them will go, but maybe, I mean, Sean Johnson, 
you know, we'll be starting week in and week out. We know Greg Berhalter loves his MLS guys. It worries me that he's not only going to be brought in, in place of one of those three guys, but he might be, you know, played in place of one of those three guys because he's actually starting and in form. Whereas these guys don't have a, don't have the time going into the world cup. So that, that's the question for me, but we, we will see, we will see. And then we can start talking about transfers that actually cost a little bit of money. This one, 12 million euros for, for leads to buy Mark Roca from Bayern Munich. He wasn't obviously getting the minutes he wanted there. Uh, only played nine matches last season in the Bundesliga, but the central midfielder will head to Leeds. Uh, they've been doing business in the transfer window. So under Jesse Marsh, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do in the future. Uh, the other small money move was Gavin Bazuna to Southampton from Manchester City for 12 million pounds. Uh, so uh, Southampton getting their goalkeeper, obviously, you know, sitting behind the, the city keepers, as we were just talking about, Ederson, Zach Steffen, Scott Carson, he's not getting the chances he wants, but he's a very, very good keeper, as many will see in the Premier League this season. Uh, a, a good pickup for Southampton, in my opinion, but worrying for City as, as a City fan, they continue to lose talent. The good thing, I think, uh, in this negotiation, City will retain 20% of a, any sell-on, and they also have a buyback clause. So in case this guy becomes a world beater, City have the chance to, to bring him back. And then just speaking of City and Leeds, as the last two transfers have involved them, I was just going to quickly mention that, you know, there's been links of Calvin Phillips potentially moving to the Etihad. So for Leeds' sake, I hope that Mark Roca is not the the replacement for Calvin Phillips because I, I don't think that would be enough. But yeah. No, I, I don't think Bazunu, he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sure hope not. But yeah, in terms of Bazunu, I agree. This is a good signing. They also lost. Fraser Forster, um, who has gone to become the backup at Spurs um, because that Galini transfer was a bit of a disaster from Tottenham. But yeah, I, I think this seems like a good deal for all parties. But if he does turn out to be really good, I think Southampton will definitely be disappointed if you guys do end up activating that buyback clause. And then apart from Holland, speaking of Spurs, th- this has to be the steal of the season for me or, or the summer. Uh, 26 million euros for Basuma. I mean, what? Yves Basuma is worth way more than 26 million euros. This is an absolute steal for Tottenham Hotspur, uh, in my opinion. It's a huge addition to their midfield. And I, I mean, City should have been going after this guy as you're talking about their interest in Calvin Phillips. This is half the price of Calvin Phillips will be. I just don't understand how they got him for so cheap. Conte is building uh, a real project there and worrying uh, this with the players that they're linked to. If they can continue this uh, impressive start to the summer, they are going to be really, really good next season. Yeah. I mean, he was entering the last year of his deal. So that, that's part of why he was so cheap, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this is an unbelievable bit of business from Spurs and a midfield three of Hoiberg Basuma. And then if they bring Erickson back or they bring in another time, I mean, yeah, looking real good. And obviously, don't forget, Rodrigo Bentenker exists as well. And he was fantastic after joining from Juve in January. So, yeah, Spurs are loaded in the midfield. This is a great bit of business. Obviously, there is a little bit of legal trouble surrounding Yves Basuma, but that hasn't seemed to impact his ability to play as of yet, even though, you know, that's been a story that's been around for a while. But assuming that doesn't impact whether he can play for Spurs or not, um, yeah, it, it's an unbelievable signing, to be honest. Um, I'm shocked by it, and, and I think it's going to be big for Spurs in kind of propelling them 
uh, uh, kind of into the top three conversation, if you will. I, you know, obviously I don't think they're at City and Liverpool's level just yet, but if they keep making signings like this, they very well could be in a few years. Absolutely. I think, yeah, under Conte, depending on what they can do uh, the rest of the season, I think if, or the rest of the summer, excuse me, if they can yeah, keep building, mounting a title charge is, or, uh, you know, competing with, with those two is uh, their goal right now. And they're getting closer and closer with every signing. Uh, the other big signing uh, this week was Arsenal getting Fabio Vieira from Porto, uh, the uh, creative midfielder, uh, he had six goals and 14 assists last season, running through the the, the league as Porto won it. Uh, it's fantastic for for Arsenal. I think you know it's really interesting because I think Liga Nos, uh, the the Portuguese league, is a lot of players are going from that league to uh, the Premier League. I mean, just look at City alone through Benfica and and Porto. It's Ederson, Cancelo, Ruben Diaz. Except uh, you look at Liverpool, they got Luis Diaz and now Darwin Nunez. And now, uh, and most of these players have settled pretty, pretty well. And so I think this is going to be a good move for Arsenal, uh, but definitely a chunk of money. Yeah, that's my one contention with this is it's just like, it's a very high fee and it is a very good player, but it's just not what Arsenal need, in my opinion. They, they already have Martin Odegaard, who's one of the best young playmakers in the entire league. They have Emil Smith-Rowe, who, you know, has been playing out wide, but he's been riding the bench. Like, they don't even have a place in, in the squad, in the starting 11 for him. Uh, and they need a defensive midfielder or an eight that can sit next to party, who, by the way, is injured all the time. And so they've been, you know, playing with a midfield of Xhaka and El Elneny and most of the time, that's not going to be good enough to get you into the Champions League spots, in my opinion. I mean, I still think kind of looking at the squad, it's still a bit of a miracle that they were so close to getting it compared to some of the other teams around them. I, I just think that, you know, this is a huge amount of their transfer budget and they're spending it in an area that isn't the first priority. And so that's my problem with it. I still think he'll be a, he'll be a good player. I mean, his numbers speak for themselves, but you know, Arsenal have a lot of other areas in the squad that they need to strengthen. Um, I think they could use another right back to help Tomiyasu out because he's been in and out with injuries. Obviously we know Kieran Tierney gets injured a lot, so they could, they need help at left back as well. Uh, And then we know that they are still on the hunt for a striker. And, you know, I just wonder if this amount of money is going to impact who they end up going for at that number nine position, which is a topic we've talked about pretty extensively on this podcast. Yeah, it's a good question because I, I kind of don't think it will just because, you know, they're still going after more midfield targets. They still want Yuri Tielemans, as you say, for that eight spot because uh, they need to fill that. But I, I just don't think I think Arsenal have to spend and continue to spend um, to, to catch up because everyone is just spending a lot of money as we were just talking. About. I mean, Spurs, as you say, uh, pipped them to the fourth and now they're just having an incredible summer already. So Arsenal just got to keep spending. And I think this could be a a good signing for them. And they, they're going to have to have more though, as you say. And then Justin, we can move over to Manchester United again, uh, another outgoing, but this time it's not on loan. It's a permanent deal on a free Paul Pogba Pogbacking yet again, this time (laughs) making his way from England back to Italy to Turin to sign with Juventus. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, as you say, he just goes back and forth, huh? But um, a fantastic signing for Juve, in my opinion. 
I think that Pogba was obviously his best at Juve. I think that he's a very good player still, obviously extremely talented, but United didn't build around him, in my opinion, and that was the issue there. And Juve uh, will give him the freedom. Serie A, he has more time and space than he would in the Premier League, and I think he's really going to shine uh, next to McKinney as well. I think uh, will be really, really good for him. They've already uh, hung out a few times and, and laughing together because when McKinney has the work rate that he does and can do the off-the-ball uh, work for Pogba, that will allow Pogba to be a lot more free and a lot more calm to uh, be the creative genius that I believe he can be. So, yeah, just fantastic for Juve, in my opinion. And the, But them too, they're going to have to continue to do more business, losing Dybala and such. Um, so we'll, we'll see what else they can get done. But yeah, I, I like this for Juve and I like it for Pogba as well. And then another deal that we have been talking about the last few weeks is Sadio Mane leaving Liverpool. You know, obviously Bayern has always been the favorite for a landing spot. Um, and that seems to be all but confirmed now for somewhere in the region of 32 million euros, but with potential add-ons, which Fabrizio Romano has uh, you know, tried to make it clear that they are add-ons that will likely be reached, which would take the deal up to around 41 million euros. Um, personally, I, I think this is kind of a good deal for all involved. You know, Sadio Mane, quality attacker. You know, we, we know that he will definitely add to Bayern's attack. You know, the Leroy Sané transfer hasn't quite worked out how they would have wanted. There's rumors of Nabry potentially leaving. I like Kingsley Coman, but, you know, this just adds another you know, level to that Bayern attack, especially if they lose Lewandowski also for Liverpool for, from a Liverpool perspective, right? This is a very solid amount of money that they're getting for a player who wanted to leave, who is, you know, aging and is kind of past his prime in my opinion, although he is obviously still very, very good. Um, and they're getting a good amount of money that they can reinvest here. And then, you know, Mane wanted a new challenge and he gets to go to Bayern. He gets to likely win another league title and potentially another cup. So for me, this is a win, win, win for all parties involved. Yeah, I mean, it's not a win for Liverpool. Uh, that Not a win for Liverpool. Losing Sadio Mane cannot be a win, in my opinion, at all. Uh, especially when you're losing Disagree. him for Disagree. when you're when you're losing him for a third of the price of Darwin Nunez. He's uh, Darwin Nunez is a third of the player. No, it's not a win for Liverpool at all. Cannot be uh, for Bayern Munich. Huge win, absolutely. Uh, for getting a, a player of this quality for uh, a small fee, essentially for that type of quality is is incredible for Bayern Munich fantastic for them I think he will tear up the Bundesliga and he will also be rested for the Champions League uh, makes them an even more scary proposition in the Champions League um, as far as the add-ons I don't mean to contradict uh, Fabrizio Romano but I don't think that they're easy uh, add-ons I think they're the uh, the the easy add-on is winning the Bundesliga so I think that those add-ons will get met but there's also add-ons for winning the Champions League, which I don't necessarily think is likely. And there's an add-on, which is just not going to happen for him winning the Ballon d'Or. So uh, there's no way that it gets up to, uh, you know, the 35 million pounds or 41 million euros that is at the top. But it will it will land somewhere in that middle area, uh, I think. So probably around, you know, 30 to 32, 33 million pounds. Uh, but regardless... It, He's underpriced for how good he is. I'm just not sure if I agree. Obviously, if it doesn't reach all the way up to 41 million, 
then you know the, i think i think it's only you know the the last three of that which are linked to the very high goals fabrizio said that there are six million euros in add-ons which are easy because they're linked to appearances and we expect Mane to play I, but i i just don't know if i see this as a loss for liverpool because it's a 30 year old player like this isn't cheap for a 30 year old player it's more than what they bought him for and and they got six years and many trophies out of him and, and so i think this is about a, a the best end to this relationship between Liverpool and Mane that they could have really asked for. It's a team in a different league, right? They'll maybe play them once in the champions league, if that. So I I personally don't agree, especially considering Liverpool's track record with recruitment and the fact that they can use this money either to, you know, offset the high price of the Darwin Nunez deal or to go get someone else. And they likely will. And that player will likely be a world beater. So like, I, I just don't agree. I don't think this is a total L for Liverpool. I think this is pretty much the best they could have done given the situation. So, I, yeah, I, I don't really agree. You think, I mean, he's going in now, Levo will probably be able to leave. Do you think Barca is going to pay more or less for Lewandowski as a 33-year-old three years past money? That's a really good question. Um, with Barca's financials, who knows? Because I feel like, they could end up getting a snip or they could end up spending a hundred mil on him, even though he's 33 and has a year left on his deal because it's Barca and who knows what's going on in, in, in the front office over there. Yeah. I expect that to be around 50. So I expect it to be higher than, uh, than Mane and uh, look, Lewandowski produces at a higher rate, but uh, it's because he's at Bayern. I think the, the numbers that he, that Mane will produce are incredible. And I think, uh, I think Levin, obviously Lewandowski is three years older, but it's a very good debate, obviously. And Liverpool had to let him go because he wasn't going to sign a contract. So to me, that's more of the question uh, is, is whether that 30 million uh, is worth a year. And probably you're right that it's not. Uh, I just think losing Mane in general is, is really tough for Liverpool. Um, but the other uh, player that you, you alluded to earlier uh, maybe Spurs can get him. Maybe Manchester United can get him. And maybe he will stay at Brentford. It is Christian Eriksen. Where do you think that he will go? There's just, I mean, he's obviously a free agent, so he can pick wherever he wants to go. And he has those, those three top options, but he has, you know, options for sure. I think he's an idiot if he doesn't go back to Spurs. It's that simple. It's a fan base that already adores him. It's a club he's familiar with. Uh, it's players he's familiar with, right? Still a, a solid core, especially with Kane and Son, who he was so deadly in link up with when he was at Spurs. Um, and they are in the best shape of any of these clubs by far. Brentford are still going to be mid-table. I don't see why Erickson would waste the last couple of years of his prime playing in mid-table. United are an absolute mess I don't get that. You know, the only way that he would go there is if they give him a a bumper contract, which, you know, is a possibility. But I I just think he has to go back to Spurs. There's no reason that he wouldn't. They are, you know, much more likely to be making waves. They're playing in the Champions League. So so personally, I I think he has to go to Spurs. If he doesn't, I, I don't know what he's thinking. I completely agree, Garrett, and I I can't add anything to that. So we will move on to Rafinha, who also has a decision to make. Uh, He, you know, has agreed personal terms with Barcelona, but there's been no bid. Arsenal are also in the race uh, and and other teams, Spurs and and other Premier League teams as well. Uh, But Leeds want 55 million euros for him. So it's about who's going to pay that and and who Rafinha can find. But if you're Rafinha, where do you want to go? 
Uh, it's a tough question. It's a tough question. Um, I think it really depends on how badly he wants to stay in the Premier League. Um, and, and honestly, I don't know what I would do if I were him. I'd probably go play for Barca, which I think is what he's going to do. Because, you know, we've talked about so many players having this love for Barca, this affiliation. And, you know, when the era Rafinha was growing up, you know, that's Ronaldinho playing for Barca. That, like, I, I'm sure he has some connection to the club and there's, there's you know, that he likes them. And there's a reason he, has an affinity he already them, has. Yeah. yeah. And he's already agreed terms with them, despite the fact that they're not even in for him yet. Right. Like, like he's <laughs> eager to play for them, obviously. So, you know, Arsenal is an exciting project, but, you know, going to play in front of Camp now going, you know, and playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world um, and, and, you know, with the idolatry and the fantastic Brazilian players who have been there, I guess Donny Alves is another one I should mention, right? You know, I, I think he likely will, and I probably agree with the decision to go to Barca, but that's if they want to fork up that money. And, and I just don't quite know where they're going to get that from. I guess the Frankie de Jong selling, you know, potentially if he goes to United, Oh, no, they, but they, they got a huge influx of money uh, from, from their TV deals. So they're, they're fine. They're, they're going to spend this summer. Interesting. Interesting. But I mean, they still have all that debt. I don't know the the way Barca's run is, you know, as I alluded to earlier, it is quite perplexing in my opinion. Oh yeah, definitely. It's not just them. It's, it's Madrid too, because they're just the, the Kings of La Liga and La Liga lets them run all over the place. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think uh, Barcelona is probably the most likely destination for him. I think if you're going to stay in the premier league, while Spurs would be a better option uh, to, you know, compete than Arsenal. I don't think you're going to get as much playing time there. Uh, and so with the rotation, I think if you go to Arsenal, then you really uh, will be a starter and a star. Ooh, I don't know, because he plays on the right. And there's a little guy named Bukayo Saka who starts every game for Arsenal there. So I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, so you one. put one of them on the left. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I understand where you're coming from. I, I do think Barcelona is the spot for him, though. Um, I don't think he stays in the Premier League, unfortunately, for all the Premier League fans. Uh, and then the big news managerially. Uh, in the Premier League, Vincent Company, former well, Manchester not in State. the Premier League. Restart You're that. right. Restart that. The other, and then the big news, uh, managerially, not in the Premier League, but in England, uh, Vincent Company, the former City legend uh, and captain, is now the Burnley manager. Officially announced, he it has a 2.9 million euro salary, which is the highest in the championship. Garrett, is he worth that type of money already? I mean, I'm not sure, but personally, I don't think that Burnley will get the success, at least that they would want out of paying him a fee like that, just because his squad is going to, going to be so depleted. Uh, they signed Jack Cork to an extension, which is an important signing, you know, a very a useful player in, in the midfield, but they're going to be getting stripped of pretty much most of their talent, right? I expect Cornet to leave. I expect Dwight McNeil to leave. I expect Veghorst to leave. I expect Nick Pope to leave. So then where they go from there, I mean, they've, they've got, you know, potentially a very good manager, but he's got nothing to work with. So I, I, I'm not sure if he's going to end up being worth that. I still think, as I said a couple of weeks ago, that Burnley are going to struggle um, in the championship. I, I don't think they'll really be in contention to come back up. Obviously, could be wrong if company does an unbelievable job, but he's got a, a definitely an uphill battle here. Yeah, he does. And he came in and said he has uh, in, in his opening interview that he sees a lot of potential, but he also knows that it's not going to be uh a one-year thing bouncing back up. It's going to take some time. And uh, he's invested in Burnley, it seems. So we will definitely see he's, he did well at Anderlecht and uh, in Belgium. So 
Let's see if he can do it in the championship in England. And then Garrett, with that, we can move on to our moments of the week. Uh, we've been doing this now for a couple months, I believe. It, it's a really fun segment I like. So let's hear your uh, moment of the week. I, I actually know what it is. and I really like it. So let's hear it. My moment of the week comes from MLS, Justin, and we refer to kind of the keeper conundrum with the USMNT. And obviously part of that carousel, if you will, is Matt Turner, who is making his move to Arsenal and has played his final game for the revolution. And after that game, he was going around signing autographs, signing jerseys, whatnot at Gillette Stadium. And there was a Spurs fan who stuck down uh, a Matt Turner USA jersey and asked him to sign it. And he refused because he was wearing a Spurs jersey and, and the fan, you know, thought it was funny. So it wasn't, you know, like a, a, a very hurtful moment, but it just shows that Matt Turner is very aware of what's going on here. And, and he's already trying to win over the Arsenal fan. So I thought that was quite comedic uh, and definitely gave me a little chuckle. Yeah. Yeah. The fan responded. You're the only Arsenal f- player I've ever liked. Uh, so it was a, a good, a good little banter there between player and fan. Uh, we like to see that. Mine, Garrett, I have a little, it's also related to jerseys, but I have a little story to back it up and and why it's my moment of the week. So just indulge me for a moment, if you will. Imagine that you and your friend are coming up through the Philadelphia Union Academy together. And while you go off to play college ball, your friend makes it into the first team. You then finally get drafted into MLS while your friend leaves for the Austrian Bundesliga and wins multiple trophies there while breaking into the national team. You bounce around from starting in MLS and the USL and your friend moves again just a year later for $36 million to the Premier League. You are eligible for two national teams, but have always wanted to play for the US. However, they haven't called you up while your friend is now starting for them. You decide to accept the call-up you've been holding out on from El Salvador and finally get to swap jerseys with your friend after the El Salvador match against the United States in the Nations League. This is the story of Tomas Romero and Brendan Aronson. Uh, it's an incredible story to me. I've talked to Romero's father, Nelson, and his mother as well a couple times about the close relationship between not only these two players, but their families growing up in the Philadelphia Union Academy together. Uh, and so them finally get to swapping their national team jerseys after that game was, was a big moment. And my moment of the week after knowing all that backstory. That was poetry, Justin. Thank you for that. I'm sure everybody loved listening to the way that you described that that was fantastic thank you thank you yeah it was it, it was it was a big moment i i loved it so good for uh tomas romero and brendan aronson and you know what else is going to be fantastic our game of the week for next week mm, it will be it is the philadelphia union against defending champions nycfc first versus second in the eastern conference should be quite a match Absolutely. New York Red Bulls and Philadelphia Union tied in that second spot. Uh, New York Red Bulls actually play City, New York City FC in the cup, by the way, another good match. But this one will determine who takes that number one spot in the East. It's going to be a, a big one, a really a six pointer in that not only the East battle, but probably the supporter shield battle. It's, it's a big game and an exciting one to watch. I'm excited to talk about it with you next week on the pod, Garrett. And with that, Justin, that brings this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. And on Instagram at U90FootballPod, U90, same thing. We've also been doing some spaces on Twitter. Um, We did one the other day. 
talking about Arteta versus Tuchel from a managerial perspective, who's been better for their respective clubs in the league was the main focus. You know, obviously Tuchel won the Champions League, but looking at uh, kind of Arsenal's Premier League rejuvenation and Chelsea's Premier League regression. So that was a really interesting conversation. I mean, we'll be having more debates like that on Twitter. So be sure to follow and uh, keep your eyes out for that. Um, with that being said, I'm sure we're going to have a lot more transfers to talk about, obviously, that game of the week and much more MLS drama. So stay tuned for that uh, and we will see you next week.